0: Dear Lord God, thank you. Thank you for um, all the people in Holy Scripture and for the ways that you work through the lives of those who have a placement within salvation history. And thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us to have a place in salvation history as well, that we are heirs to the promise. And so we give you thanks for all of the ways that the promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the way our inheritance is not a no from you, but rather a yes in all things. So we give you thanks for that. And we ask now as we study Rachel and Leah, Leah and Rachel, would you open our eyes to those promises that you've given us and answered for us in Jesus Christ? So we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, good morning. Again, as I said last week, we looked at Sarah, and I'm doing a three part series in October, and then another three part series in November. The three parts in October are going to be biblical portraits of women in the Old Testament. And then in November, I'm going to be looking at women in the New Testament. And so, what I'm doing is I'm designating one week per person, except for this week. Because poor Rachel and Leah, Leah and Rachel. They know all about sharing, and that is what we're going to look at. I know it's a really bad joke, but I just couldn't resist. Okay, so does everybody remember who Rachel and Leah are, Leah and Rachel? I would say Rachel and Leah, and after studying and preparing for this week, I'm going to start saying Leah and Rachel. Leah comes first, and we're going to look at why Leah comes first um, and what the Bible has to say about Leah um, in regards to Rachel. I'm going to read this for you so you don't have to like squint and try to see it. So basically, if you remember who are Rachel and Leah, Rachel and Leah um, are wives of Jacob. And Jacob, remember, is the grandson of Abraham. He is the heir to the promise. He is the um, one through whom God's covenant with Abraham will be fulfilled. The Lord says to Abraham throughout Genesis, but especially in chapter 12, chapter 15, again in 17, again in 22, I think, he talks about this promise. Um, the promises that he is giving to Abraham and his offspring. And the promises include blessing, um, multiple offspring, offspring that is as countless as the stars in the heavens, and land, that the offspring will inherit the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that is um, a good land to live in. In the middle of a desert, you want to live in a fertile farmland, and all of Palestine was not fertile farmland, but there was enough of it that it was a great place to live. So a lot of people kept fighting over it, and still today people are fighting over it. So it's the Promised Land. They are looking to live there, and they know um, that we know that they're not established there until after they go and they go to Egypt and are in slavery in Egypt. But that's in the future. From this point in the narrative, right now we're with Jacob. Jacob, remember, is the son of Isaac. Isaac was the only son of Abraham and Sarah. And one of the things we looked at last week is that we talked about Abraham. Father Abraham, I remember that song. Maybe you sung as a kid. Father Abraham had many sons. We marched while well, we did it, too. I don't know why we marched. But, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just thank the Lord. That's right. That's how it goes. Well, one of the things we noticed was in in Genesis 17, what's true is that the Lord says specifically to Abraham, no, the promise is not just through you, because Abraham is saying, look upon Ishmael, my son. I have favor upon him because I can tell you're not going to follow through really on the promise of a child. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to do it. I know you're really old, and I know Sarah's really old, but the promised child is going to be Sarah's. So, the promise is specifically going to be fulfilled through Sarah. So, that's what I was highlighting. That Sarah is um, a lot of times for women, for us, if you look at women in the Bible, if you've ever done a Bible study on women in the Bible, a lot of times it says, Be like Sarah, do this to be like Sarah, and be a woman of God, be a faithful woman of God. And um, I think when we do that, we back ourselves into a corner because when we're looking at women in the Bible, women in the Bible um, have things. Because of their placement within salvation history, men can learn from them as well as women and the things that we learn as women from them are not so much about being women as they are about being children of God and what does it mean to be um, God's own child uh, by adoption through faith. So Sarah is the mother of all who believe, just like Abraham is the father of all who believe. And we looked at Galatians 4 to see that, how Paul is looking at Sarah as the mother of those who believe by faith. So now we're, now we're on to their grandson, Jacob. And Jacob, remember, had a twin. Jacob and Esau had twins. They were fighting within the womb and um, struggling and striving. And Rebecca received this word from the Lord that, um, that she had two nations struggling within her own body. And that's why it was such a horrible pregnancy. And so then, of course, Jacob comes out. He's grasping onto Esau's heel, and you get the sense that there's going to be this striving and struggling between them. And if you remember, Jacob sells his birthright to, or Esau sells his birthright to Jacob as the firstborn um, for a pot of stew. He must have been really hungry. Esau must have been really hungry. And so Jacob conniving, um, tricking. He gets that blessing, and then he and his mother Rebecca work together to trick Isaac, his father, so that he gets the father's blessing on the firstborn, even though he's the secondborn son. So basically, Jacob has burned a lot of bridges. His brother Esau hates him, and the mother gets wind. Rebecca gets wind um, just before the passage I'm going to read to you. She gets wind that Esau is going to kill Jacob. And she's like, You've got to go away. And meanwhile, why don't you go find a wife? Because you need a wife. And if you marry any of these women around here, like your brother, I will go crazy, because Esau had married all these Hittite women, and they were driving both Isaac and Rebecca nuts. And so Rebecca was like, "Don't marry someone from here. Go back to my people and marry one of your relatives." Which is weird, but they do that a lot in the Bible. There's some sanction for that for them that time. So he goes back to visit um, this northern part of the. the the country. He goes further north to find the people um, that Rebekah came from. And he actually goes to visit Rebekah's brother, his uncle Laban. So I'm going to read this from chapter 29, I see it. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. And watered the flock of Laban, his brother, mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel, and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. A courtship story. If you've ever read Song of Solomon, their idea of romance is very different from our idea of romance. It involves likening teeth to sheep of flock, or er, er, flocks of sheep. It involves, oh, your, your neck is like a tower. Your I mean, the descriptions of these two lovers in the Song of Solomon are so horrible. If someone said that to me or to you, we would roll our eyes and run away. Um, we would not be—it would not be um, romantic language. But this is a romantic scene. This is a courtship scene, and you see, it because Rebecca, um, the mother of Jacob, was wooed by a well. Um, wells are often signs of—you know—there's going to be a romance taking place. And so even even here, so you can tell, Jacob is really pleased to see Rachel. He thinks she's gorgeous, and we find out later that she's beautiful. He waters the whole flock. He does this huge feat of strength, lifting this stone off. He waters the whole flock. He's so glad he's finally found his family, and he's finally found a woman he could marry. So um, as you know, the story goes on. They um, He spends time with Laban, stays at their house, and Laban says, well, I- I'm glad you're working, but maybe it's not fair that you're working for me. Why don't I pay you something? And, of course, Jacob says, let me work for you, and will you just let me marry Rachel? And Laban, one of the things we find out, Jacob is a trickster. Remember, he tricked his own father. Well, we find out that his uncle is a trickster as well. Laban is a trickster, and lo and behold, something horrible happens. And so when we look at polygamy in the Bible, as as my dad is keen to say, it's never a happy story. The man is not happy. Men might think, lots of women. No, the men are never happy, and we're going to see this in this story. It is a horrible situation, a horrible love triangle that's brought about by Laban, the father of these two poor sisters. So the description in the text, what it says is that um, that the way the women are described is really interesting. So first of all, Rachel is the only woman in the Bible that's called a shepherdess. Go figure, it was usually a man's job, but there she was, guarding the sheep, she must have been strong. It says Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. That means she was shapely in form and she had a beautiful face. One, two, she was gorgeous. And what it says about Leah, we're not sure exactly what this word for weak means, but it says Leah's eyes were weak. And the word is that they were soft or weak or delicate, but the whole context shows that um, Leah does not hold a candle to Rachel in terms of appearance, unfortunately. She is the older daughter. She is somehow greater, whether she's stronger. Laban calls her his stronger, greater daughter in that that Rachel is the littler daughter, not just younger in terms of age, but there's something else going on that we still can't figure out based on the Hebrew language. So you get the sense that Rachel has a leg up on Leah in terms of beauty, and of course, that is part of what is drawing. Jacob to her. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. A love story. So then tragedy occurs because now he said, "All right, I've worked seven years, Laban. Let me get married." And what happens? In those days, they were obviously veiled, they were veiled during the wedding, and clearly he did not realize until the morning, after the wedding had been you know the marriage had been consummated, that he had actually married. Leah, disaster. And he goes to Laban and he says, what have you done? And Laban says, well, you know, in our country, the older sister has to get married first. Sorry. We're just obeying, I'm just obeying the custom of the country. So poor Jacob then says, oh man. And And the father says, stay married to her and finish out the bridal week. We don't know culturally what that was, but so... Jacob um, stays with her for a whole week, and then he has has two weddings in a week. He marries two sisters within a week of each other, and he marries Rachel, and um, continues to serve Laban for another seven years. Um, So we have the quintessential love triangle here, and I'm going to show you why. Why? What is the direction? See, I have arrows, but you can't see them. Um, (laughs) Let me draw. Let me point the arrows to you. Jacob loves Rachel. And the narrator is really silent about about Rachel's feelings for Jacob. You don't ever hear how Rachel feels about Jacob. Silence. The only feelings that we hear about Rachel is that she envies Leah. Because Leah has children. Leah can bear children. She ends up having eight sons or six sons, naturally. And Leah it says that she loves Jacob. She wants him to love her and we're going to look at the names of the children that she has, and based on the names of the children that she has, you can hear the cry of her heart. She is longing for her husband to love her, and he doesn't love her. He loves Rachel. But he still manages to have six children with her. So clearly he doesn't hate her. Um, <laughs> it's not the worst, I, just, I I don't know. But so what? <laughs> when we look at the text, the next thing the text says about this arrangement is that Leah was hated. It says, "When the Lord saw that Leah was hated," it's not clear who she is hated by, but we think it's probably Rachel, because Jacob obviously does not hate her so much that he um, that he doesn't have these children with her. So Leah is hated probably by Rachel, and so when the Lord sees that Leah is hated. And that she's unloved, really, by her husband. The Lord has mercy on her. And what does he do? But he allows her to have children. He opens her womb. He um, brings her great fertility. And she keeps bearing all these children. She bears um, all of these different sons. She bears four sons. And we're going to look at the names of her four sons because they tell us about how she's feeling, about her relationship with her husband and how she's feeling about God. And then, so what happens is that Rachel sees that um, and here we say, see, in chapter 30, at the beginning of chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, "Give me children, or I shall die." It's a pretty strong um, statement. So they end up having this lovers' quarrel: "Give me children, or I shall die." And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, "Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb?" Rachel is putting Jacob in the place of God. She can get whatever she wants from Jacob because he's so blinded by his love for her, blinded by her beauty that she's, re- she's like, what is the matter of what matter with you? Why are you, are you doing something that's causing me to not bear children but is causing Leah to bear children? Why won't you cause me to why won't you help me get pregnant? Clearly, I think they were probably doing all they could to help her get pregnant and it wasn't working out, right? So she tries something different. Then she says, here, have my maidservant, and the children that my (coughs) maidservant has will be like my own children. And we're going to see, I'm going to look at the names that she names her maidservant's children because it gives you a sense for her um, view of her relationship with her sister and her relationship with God in these names, the way she speaks about her children, these children that are born for her. And so um, then... uh, Leah has stopped bearing, so Leah says, "Well, I'll give him my servant as well and have more children through my servant. And sh- it seems as though Leah's just trying to provide children for Jacob. She's like, "Sure, this is working out. let's just have more children. Here, if you have that servant, have the servant too, we'll see how many children happen. Um, so you have this horrible baby contest happening.. Um, so it is, that is exactly the word. You say, it is exactly an arms race. It is exactly, you stole my word. No, but it is totally. I read ahead. You read ahead. It's <laughs> completely an arms race. Okay, so let's look. I'm going to go back to this because there's a really, interesting, um, a really interesting part of it later on. Okay, so Leah's son, Reuben, means see a son. And what she says about it is, Um, She says about this son, Reuben, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Look, I gave you a son. Love me. Love me. Love me is what she's saying. And then she has another son, Simeon, and she says, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. Simeon uh, sounds like heard. Levi, her third son. She says, "This time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. How many sons is enough to earn someone's love? Not six. Not eight. Um, so, what's really interesting is this: these first three sons show her failure. Her utter failure to be able to succeed at the one thing she wants most. The one thing she wants most, wants most is um, the love of her husband, and she has utterly failed. Um, she has had some good things going for her, but she has utterly failed at the things she cares the most about. So you see that in this depth of her failure, she finds some measure of peace. When her fourth son is born, Judah, the name Judah, sounds like praise. And what she says about Judah, she says, this time I will praise the Lord. Instead of striving for what she doesn't have, instead of beating her head against the wall, she seems to be at peace here. And she is able to give thanks to God for the blessings she does have. She has four sons. Those were coveted things, trophies in the ancient Near East. Um, awards of achievement, status symbol, to have so many sons, even though she has um, failed at the one thing she really wants, she finally is finding some peace and says, well, I'll give thanks to God for what I do have. Then when her next four sons are born, she's, (laughs) it's just so comical, sorry, Uh, it's not. But she says, um, with the sons through Zilpa, she says, Good fortune has come, so she names him uh, something sounding like good fortune. And then Asher, she names happy. Happy am I, for women have called me happy. I think the subtext there is, I am so unhappy. But everybody else thinks that I should be happy. Other people call me happy, because this is the way women are considered to be happy. is through having sons. Even if it's the one thing I want, I still can't have then um, it occurs sounds like wages are higher and there's a horrible story surrounding this that we're going to look at um, that shows part of Rachel's approach to marriage and to God. Um, and she says, well, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. Kind of creepy and weird. but in this, in this arms race, in this baby contest she feels like, well, sure, more sons. All right, if I'm good at having sons, let's just keep doing it. Let's just we'll go with that. That's all I've got. We'll go with it. And so she sees it as another sign of God's um, blessing upon her. Well, I I guess it was good that I gave my servant to Jacob and we had more sons. So she said, God has given me my wages. Um, This is another blessing. Her final son, Zebulun, sounds like honor. And she says when he is born, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Eight sons. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. She gave birth to six sons, even though she had eight. Now my husband will honor me. She's still hoping, isn't she? Um, but she's not asking for love at this point. Do you see she's being more realistic? She knows he will never love her, um, but she recognizes that at least she has, she'll has, she have some honor. The Lord has preserved for her honor, even though he didn't give her what she really wanted, which was love. Okay, tragedy, so sad. Um, now we look at... Um, Rachel's son. So Rachel has sons first through her servant. Um, She gives Bilhah to Jacob and the first son is Dan and the name of Dan sounds like judged and what she said about Dan was um, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. What's really interesting here is that Rachel claims that God has given her son but the narration doesn't claim that. With Leah, um, the narrator is saying The Lord looked down and saw her and had mercy on her. With Rachel, the narrator is silent about God. But Rachel is claiming that God is having mercy on her, Um, that God is looking at her. She's saying, God has judged me. And the implication is, God has judged me and found me worthy. And he has heard my voice, and now he's given me a son. She sees this as tit for tat. Um, as her righteousness being rewarded, her worth in God's eyes um, being recognized. Um, The next son that's born to Bilhah is Naftali, and it sounds like the Hebrew for wrestling. And about Naftali, she says, with mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. She's kidding herself, actually, because that's only her second son, and her sister's got like four sons. But she's kidding herself, and it's all about this comparative contest. She is judging um, her worth based on whether or not she can have children. Forget about being loved by Jacob. She doesn't care about that. She considers his love trash, because the one thing she really cares about is having babies and the status that she would gain through having babies. And so um, she, again, is asserting her status in her righteousness, um, her sense of worth based on this child that was born. I have prevailed over my sister. The arrogance is um, not too far under the surface of that statement. Then when um, Joseph is born, Joseph finally is born, it does say the Lord looks down, remembers? Oh, yeah, and gives her a child from um, that she gives birth to herself. And Joseph means, may he add, but it sounds like the Hebrew for taken away. And when Joseph is born, she says, God has taken away my reproach. Again, I'm righteous before him, and he's finally recognized it. Hooray for me. May the Lord add to me another son. She's not happy. She still wants one more. Not content. When she said to to her husband, give me children or I shall die, it's plural. She's saying, give me sons. I don't just mean one, I want more. I want lots. I want more than my sister. Uh, It is competition. She wants more or she shall die. Give me sons or I shall die. The irony is her words there are prophetic. Because when she's giving birth to her second son, um, Benjamin, who she names Benoni, son of my sorrow, she dies in childbirth. So her words are prophetic. With the second child, with the multiple children that she gives birth birth to on that second birth, she dies. So here's this love triangle. Jacob loves Rachel, but he has sons with Leah. Rachel, the only thing it says about Rachel is that she envies Leah's fertility. And Leah longs for Jacob to love her. Uh, They say about gambling that the most addictive part of gambling is not the winning, it's the losing. Rachel is addicted to trying to have children. Leah it has a much more um, calm relationship with it. And what are the children about? You know, is this just about women having children? It is about so much more. It is about um, the arms race. It is about trophies. I think of um, all the different so- soccer trophies that I got when I was a kid. I was not good at soccer, but they were starting to give out trophies to everyone when I was a kid. Now they give them out like it's candy. They give out trophies to every child, regardless of whether or not they've done well or not, which is really interesting and one of the reasons why um, the younger generations, as we get to be adults, we're thinking, if we don't receive a trophy every other minute, we think, there's something wrong with me. Are you upset at me? Where's my trophy? Um, but we still have seen, you know, historically we see in our culture that trophies, soccer trophies are signs of achievement. Um, tiaras, if you were in beauty contests sign of achievement. Um, diplomas are a sign of achievement. I have on the wall in my office four, two diplomas and two ordination certificates. And I put them up, they're all not straight and level with the floor, but I hung them up in four quadrants and I created I created what I call the wheel of achievement. <laughs> because I look at it and I say, okay, I guess, you know, I knew that after, um, I can't remember which um, high school reunion it was, but I thought I can't go because I'm 29 and I've got nothing going on. I'm not married, I don't have a job, I don't have a this, I don't have children. I can't go to my high school reunion. And then, but once I got ordained, uh, uh, this is terrible, but I thought, well, okay, there's some something to show for 10 years out of uh, high school or 15 years now out of high school or 20 years out of high school. I can go back and not feel like. So there's this wheel of achievement, and I put them up in four quadrants because I call it this wheel of achievement, that this wheel, and in the Middle Ages, in the churches, all throughout England and in Europe, you'll see they used to paint all the walls of the churches in, um, in the Middle Ages with really bright murals, beautiful colors. And on many churches, there's a wall called the Wall, the Wheel of Fortune. It's not about Pat Sajak and Vanna Away. It's actually this idea within medieval thought that we are all on this wheel of fortune. We just don't know, we don't really have control over our fate. Um, and talking about spin spin the wheel, Vanna. Spin the wheel, it's not Vanna, it's a contestant. I watch it a lot. But spin the wheel. So I have on my, on my wall this wall of achievement, this w- wheel of achievement, because the whole idea behind the wheel of fortune is that um, when you live your life, um, gambling and throwing the dice and trying to achieve based on the world standards and trying to stand up to your own idealized image of what success is, trying to live it, trying to strive for it and build it. Um, if, you <laughs> if you build it, they will come. If you dream it, you can achieve it. All of this mentality that we're taught, um, that we don't even need to be taught because it's so innate to us. Um, the Middle Ages, they saw this wheel of fortune as being a wheel that will crush you, that will kill you. And it does, it crushes us. Leah is crushed. Rachel ought to be crushed, but she's in denial about it. But there's this moment when you get crushed by the Wheel of Fortune, that is the moment when we are most ready to hear from God, most ready to receive what he has for us. So in my Wheel of Achievement, I have four four framed status symbols, four framed awards of achievement, and in the negative space, there's a cross because it's at that moment when you start to live the wheel and you get caught up in the wheel and you're spinning around and you're spinning around um, and you get sick and you get crushed on it. That is the moment um, when we receive what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, So Rachel um, doesn't receive this. She doesn't get it. She's still trying to win and Rachel had lost so, or Leah had lost so much that she just, she just gives up. Um, this little one didn't come out, but very well. But there's an arrow here. When Jacob meets Esau, you still see his preference for Rachel. He puts her last, so that if any harm happens to his wives and his children, first it would happen to the maidservants and their children. This is not very pleasant to see. We don't really like seeing this favoritism. And it doesn't work out well for David. Remember, it doesn't work out well for Joseph. Joseph ends up getting sold into slavery because his brothers hate him because his father loved him so much. Leah is next with her children, and then last he puts Rachel and Joseph. Um, his two, his favorite wife, his favorite son, and then himself. So that just shows you <laughs> his aura, his sense of priorities and his sense of chivalry. Um, the thing with Jacob and with, both, um, and with Rachel, Rachel is truly Laban's daughter. Laban really tricked Jacob and Jacob tricked um, Laban. And, um, and Rachel tricks her own father as they're departing and fleeing from Laban. There's this event where, that kind of reveals Rachel's character. Both sisters are upset at their father because they feel like their father has, by cheating Jacob, he has cheated them and their children out of their inheritance, out of their rightful inheritance. And Leah doesn't do anything about it. But Rachel's so mad, she goes and she steals the household gods of her father Laban. And these were like little images for idolatry, how horrible to think about, but they reveal what they're coming out of, what these girls are coming out of. They're coming out of a mentality where if you burn incense or you make a little sacrifice to this little figurine that represents a deity, then that deity will have to do something for you. It's like the mob. I scratch your back and you scratch my back. And that's the mentality that Rachel has um, towards God Almighty towards Yahweh, the God of the universe who created the hosts of heaven. She has this idea that if um, she's worthy, then he will give her what she deserves. Um, and so she's also a trickster. She steals these household gods. And when Laban comes chasing after Jacob, he says, why did you... Okay, it's bad that you went, why did you steal the household gods? Why did you steal these important things to me? And um, Laban says, we didn't steal anything. If anyone has these household gods, they will die. And he pronounces this judgment upon whoever it is that has them. And of course, there is Rachel. She sits on them, and she tells her father that the way of women is with her, and she can't get up. I'm so sorry. She lies. She steals from him. She lies to him. She calls him my Lord, and you can't really tell what the sarcasm is like in the Bible, but I think she's saying it sarcastically. My Lord... So she's dishonoring her father. My Lord, I can't get up. And meanwhile, she's sitting on what she's stolen. And one of the next, what we see is that she dies early. In chapter 35, she dies um, on the road while she's bearing while she's bearing um, Benjamin, and she dies early. Um, there is within. So you see that within the whole context of Genesis. Um, it's not always clear what is what does god think about these two ways of relating to him and these two ways of dealing with life and the failures that it brings but the narrator in genesis both the human author and the divine author both who both moses i do believe it's moses that's writing genesis and god are commenting on how rachel is not doesn't understand how god works um god does not desire for us to climb the ladder of achievement whether it's through um, things that give us a sense of identity or things that make us feel good about ourselves, whether it's our job and our job title, our job um, salary, our, um, our, our relationship status. What a strange phrase to use. Thank you, Facebook. Relationship status. But it reveals the import that we place on it um, or um, the number of children that we have. Um, maybe we're not hoping for eight sons like um, Leah um, but there is, I often will find myself in women's ministry in a room with um, women talking about their children. And there's this like, my child has done this, oh well, my child has done this. And um, mothers measuring their worth based on their children's achievement. Um, or for you know, men it's different things, but not always the same thing. Sometimes, or sometimes it is the same thing. Um, and sometimes women find that sense of um, identity from things that men also find that sense of identity from. All that to say, the Lord judges Rachel for it. Um, she digs the pit and she falls into it. And she's seen as being, her marriage with Jacob is seen as being illegitimate. Um, and the same author of Genesis wrote Leviticus, divine author and human author. And Leviticus, um, this law was not in place when Jacob married these girls. But um, the people reading Genesis knew about this law as well. You shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sis- sister the bad news polygamy is bad news Um, so why then does the Lord have mercy on Leah the Lord has mercy says in scripture in the Psalms 34 the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit she's failed she's hated she's unloved Uh, she will never succeed in the one thing that she wants and as she gets to the bottom of the barrel the bottom of the pit Um, She finds the Lord mighty to save, and she is able to find peace with the blessings that he does give her, even if she doesn't ever receive what she most wants. The Lord heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Um, And then from Isaiah 61, um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. This is the content, Isaiah 61 is the content of Jesus' first sermon. He's in his hometown, and he gets up in the synagogue, and he preaches, and he preaches this sermon. He preaches from Isaiah 61, and it's true that in Jesus, God has bound up our broken hearts, that as we're crushed by that wheel of achievement, the wheel of fortune in life, um, God, in his mercy, sends Jesus to stand for us. His achievement stands for our failure, in front of our failure, and covers us, um, and so we don't need to work and climb that ladder um, to try to find worth in God's eyes um, because we'll, we'll fail in this life at that. Um, and so then once we've failed, once we've hit the bottom of the barrel, we can find peace um, and praise. Uh, we know that we are covered by Jesus, we're forgiven, we're free, and we can be at peace, just like Leah was at peace and named her son Judah. I'll praise him. I don't have what I want, But life's not horrible. I will praise him. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for um, Jesus covering us, binding up our broken hearts. And I ask, Lord Jesus, um, that you would go forth from here um, with us, that you would walk with us and carry us, even in our brokenness, our brokenness of sin, our brokenness of disappointment and failure. Um, Lord, would you minister to us by your great mercy, uh, reveal to us in your own death? And so we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.